want to say good morning, and I'm very thankful to get to be here with all of you today and study God's Word. And uh, for those of you who may not know, I am Lyle Whitmore, the youth pastor here, and what that means is I am the most thankful one here that Jaden's here, so I don't have to bring Rusty his coffee anymore. So, um, yeah, but we're very thankful um, to get to read God's Word today. Um, so let's take a moment to pray as we dive in. Lord, we thank you for, for who you are and for how much you love us. We pray that we can give you praise and glory. We pray that we can study your word, and we can be challenged, and we can grow in you, and we can choose to put you first and choose to trust in you. We thank you in your son Jesus' mighty name. Amen. So Augustine said that when regard for truth has been broken down or even slightly weakened, all things will remain doubtful. And that's a great quote, and it got me thinking as I was about that, thinking, what is truth? Or who is truth? Or is there even truth in our culture? Is the idea of truth unified? Or is truth weakened in our culture? Or how do we interact and respond to truth? And those are a lot of things to think about in regard to truth. But we're only going to hit on two of those ideas or thoughts today. We're going to look at what is truth, and how do you respond to truth? Well, truth is a word that has been debated at much length lately. And although truth has a definition, though, and the definition is that truth is in accordance with fact or accurate and exact. So truth is in accordance with fact or accurate and exact. And so the definition of truth seems pretty straightforward. However, in culture, truth seems to be re represented a bit more like this. There were two men that were having a pretty intense argument, and they couldn't figure it out on their own. So they said, we need to go get some help for this. So they went to um, a judge, and they were getting ready to tell their story in front of the judge. First one up was the guy that was the accuser. So he tells his story, and he's telling it beautifully. He's telling it uh, very eloquently. And when he gets done, the judge goes, that's right, that's right. And then all of a sudden the defendant goes, well, wait a minute, how can he be right? You haven't even heard my story yet. The judge goes, okay, okay, you tell your story. So the defendant tells his story. It also is very well reasoned and thought out, and it's a good argument. And after he's done, the judge goes, well, that's right, that's right. And then the clerk stands up and goes, wait a minute, wait a minute. How can they both be right? That doesn't make sense. And the judge goes, that's right, that's right, that's right. And so, unfortunately, truth today is represented a little bit more like that illustration, that everyone is right. Your truth is right, your neighbor on the left's truth is right, and your neighbor on the right's, right's truth is right. However, there lies a problem that if all three see it differently, how could they all be exact truth? How could all three different versions be truth? So the questions remain, what is truth, and how do we respond to it? I believe there's a need to start thinking about truth in today's day and age and not just accepting what the culture says. And today I want to dive in and look a bit more into what truth is. But you may possibly be here and, and uh, not be a believer in Jesus and, and you're wondering, where's this going to go? Or you're thinking, there is no universal truth even. I would just ask that you take some time to listen and think through as this is ultimately your choice of what to believe. But I just want to lay out what Jesus and his word says about truth. You don't have to believe it, but I would just ask that you think about it. 
Or maybe you're here and you say you do believe in Jesus and who he is. I would just also say, be thinking about it and, where you and how you respond to truth. And we'll break that down in a little bit. So what is something that can point us in the right direction of truth? For some time, there's a group of our older students in, in youth group that were meeting together, and we were uh, calling it Diving Deeper. And, in, and we were talking a lot about truth. You had to have a basis of truth before you could really build a worldview or build what you want to believe on. And so we were kind of talking and going over this for uh, multiple sessions. And finally, we came uh, to, the, to the fact that um, there had to sort of be like a rule giver or a set of rules so you could actually build a basis of truth. And for uh, the sake of our sessions moving forward as we were studying through this, we thought that uh, God and the Bible would be a wonderful standard, a truth giver, and a truth set of standards. And so just like this message, we kind of are going to need to agree and think about that that is something that can help fit our lives, that there needs to be a, a basis of, of truth, there needs to be a rule giver, uh, and, and a person who is uh, or in a set of standard of, of rules. And so, because if we don't have a standard for truth, we all just can start uh, having truth or whatever we think about adjust to fit our lives, to make us more tolerable, uh, or to make us feel, uh, you know, more like we're friendly than everybody else. But then all of a sudden, we start getting to that problem of relative truth, your truth, my truth, our truth. And there's no real set basis for what truth is. But for universal or fact-based truth, the definition of truth is set is, is to be that there must be a standard to dive into to look at what truth is. So we're going to see what God's word claims truth is. So we're going to first. I want to read John fourteen six. You don't have to turn there yet. That won't be our main passage. Uh, but John fourteen six says Jesus told him, "I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me." To me, this is a pretty clear statement. What Jesus is saying, uh, the truth is. He isn't saying something else is truth. He isn't saying that this is my truth and you can have yours. He isn't even saying he has some truth. He's saying that he is the truth. And to me, that's a statement right there. Because according to the definition of truth, truth is either a fact or it isn't true. So Jesus is here claiming that he is the truth. So one either has to believe him as the truth, or we could deny him as a raving lunatic. We can't take some of his scriptures and some of his truths and say, oh yeah, I believe that, but I don't believe this part over here. Because as we see 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17 says, all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So again, this verse clearly states that one cannot pick and choose what they want to believe in scripture. It's all or nothing doesn't say some scripture is God-breathed. It doesn't say parts that you want to be God-breathed are. All scripture is God-inspired. So all is coming from the one who is truth. So all scripture is truth and Jesus is truth. The question is, do you believe that truth? If you do, it sets us a standard of a truth giver and his word sets the laws of what is right or wrong or true or not. But do we believe it? So this will set us up for our main passage of the day, which is going to be in John chapter 18, verses 28 to 40. So if you turn to John chapter 18, 28 to 40, we'll look into that. We're reading John 18, 28 to 40. It'll be on the screen as well, and this is from the CSB.
verse 28 says, Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early, it was early morning. They did not enter the headquarters themselves. Otherwise, they would be defiled and unable to eat the Passover. So Pilate came out to them and said, What charge do you bring against this man? They answered him, If this man weren't a criminal, we wouldn't have handed him over to you. Pilate told them, You take him and judge him according to your law. It is not legal for us to put anyone to death, the Jews declared. They said this so that Jesus' words might be fulfilled, indicating what kind of death he was going to die. Then Pilate went back into the headquarters, summoned Jesus, and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Are you asking this on your own, or have others told you about me? I am not a Jew, am I? Pilate replied, Your own nation and the chief priests handed you over to me. What have you done? My kingdom is not of this world, said Jesus. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I wouldn't be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. You are a king then, Pilate asked. You say that I'm a king, Jesus replied. I was born for this, and I have come into the world for this, to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. What is truth? said Pilate. After he had said this, he went out to the Jews again and told them, I find no grounds for charging him. You have a custom that I release one prisoner to you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They shouted back, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a revolutionary. There's a lot going on in that passage, and all of it's really interesting to me. And one of the most interesting pieces of it all, though, is when Pilate asked Jesus, what is truth? It's interesting because we're still asking that very same question today. And they've been asking it for over 2,000 years that we see from here, if not even before that. And we're still asking that question today. What is truth? And this brings us to the first point of the passage, and that is that Jesus is truth. And because the world has been searching and asking for truth and often does not find it. However, in verse 37, Jesus answered, You say that I am king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is, test, is to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And so this is the CSB translation, uh, but I also like what the NIV says uh, here. It says, anyone who listens to my voice is on the side of truth. So the world is searching and Pilate is searching for truth. And Jesus gives him and us and the readers the answer that he is truth. He says it here and in John 14, 6, when he says, he's the way, the truth, and the life. And here in verse 34, uh, 7, Jesus goes on to say that, those that listen to him are on the side of truth. So that raises the question for us today. Do you believe Jesus? Do you believe that he is truth? And are you on the side of truth? Or how do you respond to truth? And there are many ways to respond to truth. And we see some of those ways right here in this passage. Um, and that leads us to our second point, which is people respond differently to truth. People respond differently to truth. And we can see some of those differences right here in this passage. And the first response to truth is the religious leaders. The religious leaders respond to Jesus as, as their way is better than truth. Or for lack of better terms, they respond arrogantly or pridefully or self-righteously. And the religious leaders had a system how th of how things were to be. They were very comfortable in that system, and then all of a sudden, here comes the promised Messiah, the truth really the one that they should be ready to accept. But he comes in here, and they looked at Jesus as just an interruption to their ways, and they, they couldn't have that. 
And they would have rather went on their own ways and do their own things than to be opening to, open to listening to the truth. They would rather appear like they were on the side of truth and doing everything right. But when the truth was right before their eyes, they wanted nothing to do with it. For example, this passage says that they brought up Jesus on charges, but they would not show that they went into Pilate's headquarters to not defile themselves before Passover. They wanted to look right and holy like they were doing everything okay, but really they were evil and against truth. They were trying to destroy and get rid of truth, even though they were looking, trying to look good on the outside. Then also when they were asked about charges, they really didn't even have any. Um, if you couldn't give a more vague answer when they said, if this man were not doing evil, we wouldn't have handed him over to you. Basically means, we have no idea what he did wrong. We can't stand him. Kill him for us. That's basically what they were saying. So they thought their way was right, even when the truth was right in front of them. They were prideful, self-righteous, and when face-to-face with truth, they responded self-righteously, and they didn't listen. Does that somewhat maybe sound familiar to our culture today? Let me have my truth. You can have yours as long as it doesn't interfere with what? With my truth, because mine's right. And if you interfere with my truth, get out of the way. Seems a little bit how we, how we can respond to culture today. So that's the first response that we see uh, of how people are uh, responding to truth. The next is we have the unopposed or the undecided, but ultimately the unbelieving. Or if we can put that maybe in one word, I was thinking skeptic. And this, report, uh, this response comes from Pilate. He was asking questions and trying to figure out if Jesus had done anything wrong. He was trying to figure out the truth, even when it was standing right in front of him. However, he didn't seem to respond well to truth. He even goes on to ask, what is truth? Ironically, if you think about it, the one who was in charge of finding out truth as the governor, he even quickly dismisses the relevance of truth, even in the presence of the one who is truth. To me, that makes me just mind-boggling. But the man who has the power to let one live or die doesn't seem to be outright opposed to Jesus as truth but doesn't really care to really fully believe him either. He asks, what is truth? And that seems like a great question to ask for one who is seeking. But he leaves directly after he asks that question, it says, because right afterwards, he went back out to tell the Jews, I found no wrong in him. There's no, he just says, what is truth? And he's out to go talk to the Jews. So it seems like he's thinking, but doesn't really want to dive in any deeper. But he tells the Jews that he found no guilt in him. In fact, he even tries to let Jesus go, and he remembers a custom that he has to set one prisoner free at Passover. And he may think, this could be the perfect way to settle this situation. I've listened to their cries. I've listened to them uh, saying, here, study this guy, figure out what they did wrong with him. But if I put him up against this insurrectionist, this murderer, they'll probably choose this guy to go free. So he says, I remember this. I have uh, Jesus here for you on the Passover. I can let you go free, or I can have this horrible, hardened criminal go free. And probably to his shock, the the people shout out, no, release Barabbas. And that probably shocks him a bit. But to get a a real sense of how Pilate handles this situation and responds to truth, we need to pick up in chapter 19 and read a little bit further into that to see how Pilate uh, finishes his, his response to Jesus and to the truth. So it says, then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers also twisted together a crown of thorns, put it on his head, and clothed him in a purple robe. And they kept coming up to him and saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And were slapping his face. Pilate went outside again and said to them, Look, 
I'm bringing him out to you to let you know I find no grounds for charging him. Then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, here is the man. When the chief priests and the temple servants saw him, they shouted, crucify, crucify. Pilate responded, take him and crucify him yourself since I find no grounds for charging him. We have a law, the Jews replied to him, and according to the law, he ought to die because he made himself the son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was more afraid than ever. He went back into the headquarters and asked Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus did not give him an answer. So Pilate said to him, do you refuse to speak to me? Don't you know that I have the authority to release you or the authority to crucify you? You would have no authority over me at all, Jesus answered him, if it hadn't been given you from above. This is why the one who handed me over to you has the, has the greater sin. From that moment, Pilate kept trying to release him. But the Jews shouted, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Anyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. When Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus outside. He sat down on the judge's seat in a place called the stone. It was the preparation day for the Passover. It was about noon. Then he told the Jews, Here is your king. They shouted, Take him away, take him away, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Should I crucify your king? We have no king but Caesar, the chief priest said. Then he handed him over to be crucified. And I wanted to read on here because we get that, a better sense of how Pilate or the skeptic or that undecided person can respond to truth. He asked Jesus questions and didn't think he was guilty and let him know that. He tried to release him and the people chose the murderer Barabbas to be free. So then he has Jesus beaten and flogged and he has a crown of thorns put on him. Again, Pilate says there is no guilt in him. But the crowd rages, crucify him, crucify him. So he brings Jesus in once more to try to help figure out what to believe. And the text says he even sought from there on to release Jesus. However, the crowd raged on. They got serious and they were shouting, if you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar. And clearly there is a shift here um, because that statement got to, to Pilate. And there's a statement here because he kept saying, I want to release him. I'll take that. I'm going to release him. I want to release him. I find no fault in him. But that statement of, if you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar, got to him. And I believe uh, what history uh, goes to show why that probably got to Pilate and made him say, fine, I'm giving up, is the fact that uh, the person who got him his position in, as governor in Rome, he had an influential fr friend named Sejanus. But recently in Rome, Sejanus was convicted of treason and he was executed. And the Roman Senate is now looking into the friends of Sejanus, and this would include Pilate. And so Pilate doesn't want to lose his loyalty to Rome or his position or even his life. So he gives into their demands. When he hears, you're no friend of Caesar, that got to him. And I think that's why we see that immediate shift of, all right, you can have him. I'm, I don't want anything else to do with him because I want to um, save my own skin. He gives into their demands, but to ease his conscience, Pilate declares himself innocent and literally washes his hands of the matter, turns Jesus over, and gives permission for his death. But multiple times, Pilate tries to release Jesus and doesn't believe him guilty of his death. As we said, in, we see in Matthew 27's account, he ultimately washes his hands of Jesus' blood. But when given the chance, he didn't end up believing and standing for truth, even if he wasn't originally opposed to it. But here's the issue of that skeptic or the unopposed but unbelieving response to truth. You may not know what to believe or do as we saw Pilate going back and forth, not landing on the truth. The issue is, if you don't choose to believe in truth, when crud hits the fan in your life, uh, or your life may even be on the line, as it seemed it might have been here for Pilate, 
when they accused him of not being a friend of Rome, this oftentimes is when the skeptic or the unopposed, unbelieving person abandons truth to save their own skin, as we see here with Pilate. Or when Jesus and his words become a threat to us or our, or our society or our way of thinking, we walk out on them, just as Pilate did. So we've seen the self-righteous response. We've seen the unopposed and unbelieving. We've seen how they have responded to truth. The next group here is the crowd. And the word crowd is not mentioned in this account of John, but in Matthew and Mark, it's mentioned all over. So we know that there's a crowd that's there shouting, crucify him, crucify him. And as I began studying this passage, I have seen the crowd in my mind as the blindly or the vehemently opposed in how they respond to truth. Because when they're faced with it, they want nothing to do with it. <clears throat> and from the start that we see the, cr the crowd and the mob there, they're just constantly there ready to shout and yell and say, crucify him, crucify him. They're easily stirred up against Jesus, and it seems that they want nothing to do with truth. We don't even necessarily know the exact reason. They're just there ready to get rid of this guy, the one who says he's the truth. And they're just extremely opposed, and that's all we see from it. And that got me thinking about 2 Corinthians 4, 1 to 4, where it says, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. And by the op open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And so it seems to me that there are always those that are going to be opposed to truth, which is Jesus. And it's clearly seen here in how this angry mob was and how opposed they were to Jesus that they would rather have a known robber and murderer be released than the truth be set free. This may seem familiar to some people you know today, those that are not sure why, but they just seem to hate Jesus and the truth and they'll be against it no matter what. And sad to see, but the truth is, is that Jesus went to the cross for those people as well. And he even said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. Opposition to Jesus and his truth is not a new thing. But Jesus and truth is greater than the things of this world. And next, I want to actually look at the next group. And that's actually the group who's omitted from this passage. And that is his followers and disciples. And I will call them the silent believers. And it struck me that while studying this, that we hear nothing from Jesus' followers for some time. Literally, the last we've heard is that the account right before John 18 that we looked at is Peter denying Jesus three times. We then hear from a few that are weeping at the cross, but then later the rest of them are hiding behind locked doors, fearing for safety. They believed in Jesus and truth, but they didn't stand up for the truth. That's until later, of course, when some of them are the most amazing and influential people that walked this earth. But you might say, what changed that? The resurrection is what changed that, and that changes everything. But that's a whole other sermon that we could talk about that I won't preach today, so amen for that. But as I was saying here, when it was all going down, they're eerily silent, and they're hiding away. They've been with the truth. They've walked and learned from the truth. But when it all goes down, they're silent. They don't stand up for truth. And really, one that we know of even denies it three times. This is a common theme in today, even, wouldn't you say? There are many who says that they believe in Jesus as truth, 
But do we stand up for it when the hard times come or the oppression comes? And I want to look at these two main questions today of what or who is truth and how do we respond to truth? And we looked at the first briefly and saw that Jesus said he is truth. But we also looked at the second question in length of all how the different people respond. But I want to circle back quickly and look at the fact that Jesus is truth just a bit longer. Because in this passage, Jesus does what truth does, even in the face of criticism and doubt. He stayed strong, he didn't waver, and there was no guilt found in him. He answered honestly, and he stayed true to the truth of why he came, and he didn't fear death. He went to the cross willingly and died for me and you. But what's great about truth is that truth is not defeated. Truth wins out, and Jesus rose from the dead. He's alive, and he's victorious, and he is truth. And he says, anyone who listens to my voice is on the side of truth. So in conclusion, let's bring this message around practically. How do you respond to truth? Do you respond to truth like any of these people did that we looked at today? We've seen that Jesus is truth, and we must either believe him fully or not at all. For him to be truth, we can't just believe some of what he said to be true. He said he is the truth. So we have a choice to make. We've also seen how people in this passage respond to truth. And again, I ask, how do you respond to truth? Are you here and you might be like the religious leaders? You've made up your own self-righteous version of truth. You feel that what you think and believe is right. You take what you want in your version of truth and place yourself as king and not Jesus. Then if something comes in the way of upsetting you and your beliefs and doesn't benefit you, you just push it away. And maybe you've gotten so far away from truth that when you are next to it, you don't even recognize it. If that's you, I'd want you to know that it isn't too late to, to reconsider where you stand. And I would say, look to Jesus. Start diving in and studying to see for yourself that he is the truth. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Or maybe you're here and you're like the crowds and you just happen to be here today even though most of your life you've just been opposed. You don't even necessarily even know why. You just don't like truth. You don't like uh, the idea of Jesus being truth. And sometimes maybe even outrages you. Or you think those that believe it are idiotic. But just know that it isn't too late for you either. Jesus went to the cross for you and for your sins just as he did for mine. I say again, take the time to look into his words. Study what we've talked about here today. I think that you'll see that his claims of him being the truth have real merit to them. Or maybe you're here, and you might be a little bit more like the skeptic. You haven't never really been sure of what you believe. You're not fully opposed to the idea of Jesus' truth, but you're not really sure that he is truth. Or maybe you've even wanted to learn more about Jesus, but there's always been opposition. Anytime you feel like you're getting a little closer to a time where you want to uh, get to know him more, something gets in the way, gets in the way. Or maybe your status at school or your status at your job or your neighborhood or in your family could take a hit if you decided to stand up for truth. But it may not seem worth it now because it might seem like the idea of praise of man is more important than the praise of God and living for his glory. But trusting in Jesus as truth will allow us to live eternally with him in his glory. And it'll be worth whatever stands in the way here on earth. Because as scripture says, what good is it a man, if it a man gains the whole world but forfeits his soul? It isn't too late to take a stand to being on the side of truth. Or maybe you're here and you believe that Jesus is truth and you know you do, however you've kept quiet about it. And when opposition comes, you don't, you don't change views or turn away from him. 
but you also don't speak up about truth. Maybe to your neighbors who are saying something or someone at your coworker that's bashing on it, you just kind of keep quiet. Nobody even knows that you believe in truth. Also know that it's not too late because those who followed Jesus that were hiding in the upper room out of fear, they changed their ways and spoke up for truth and lived for Jesus. And when they did speak up, many of them lost their lives, but in the process, they changed the course of history and showed that they listened to the truth and that they were on the side of truth and even died for it. But they changed history in the course of that. And so the call of this message is for us to hear the words of Jesus, and his words were that he is truth, and that anyone who listens to his words is on the side of truth. And by the basis of truth, Jesus saying he is truth either means he is or he isn't. And history in his life and scripture have shown that he is the way, the truth, and the life. So how are you going to respond to him today? The choice is up to you. The Bible says if you respond to living for your own truth and seeking selfish desires, then that path is broad and leads to a life of eternal destruction and eternal separation from truth as you'll be in hell. However, if you respond to Jesus and truth and live humbly for him and seek after him, then you will inherit the kingdom of God and you'll be able to live on the side of truth and with truth for eternity. But not only that, if you respond by choosing to be on the side of truth and to boldly live as Jesus did and don't waver in truth, even when opposition comes, I believe we could see God work through us to start changing this world in, in such a way that brings many to him. Do you want to listen to the words of Jesus and stand on the side of truth and see what God can do through us? If you do, I look forward to seeing what God can do through us. I feel like he can change, he can work through us to change our homes, to change our workplaces, to change even this city. Because so often I feel that we can be fearful of what the world can do, fearful of what man can do. And in that process, we therefore underestimate what truth can do. But let's not underestimate what truth can do. And if you want to talk more about this or this has struck a chord with you, please come talk to myself or Pastor Rusty um, after service. We'd love to talk and, and pray with you a little bit more. But again, I just would leave us with a thought of let's not underestimate what the truth can do and let's not underestimate who the truth is. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for who you are and we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have clearly stated that you are truth. And now the choice is up to us whether we want to believe that or not or how we respond to it. And so I pray that you can be working in our hearts and minds to uh, help us think about this and help us think about you as truth. And for those of us that are here that don't necessarily believe that you are truth, pray that you just be working in their hearts to help them have a desire to want to dive in more to your word and see uh, uh, that your claims have merit to them, Lord. And if we are here and we do believe in you, pray that you give us boldness to stand up for you and to stand up for truth and that we can bring you glory in seeing our lives and our homes and even this city change, Lord, to give you glory. So I pray that we can do that. And again, we thank you for um, the fact that you sent us your son who is truth. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.